Songs in the Keel, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs. Anything that takes my fancy, really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands, those songs I can't get out of my head. As we're now officially into autumn, it's back to school time for kids up and down the country. And so, by way of tribute to the whole ritual of children rocking up to education establishments with new shoes, boasting a short-lived super shininess and blazers that are two sizes too big for them, I present to you Songs in the Key of Back to School, a playlist of songs featuring school subjects. It's a bit of a cheat, really. These songs aren't actually about school subjects. There probably are songs about the study of oxbow lakes, quadratic equations and split diagraphs somewhere out there in the world. It's just I was too lazy to find them. But these songs do at least feature the name of a school subject in their title. So let's get on with it. And just remember, that bell is for me, not for you. The first song that popped into my head when the idea of a school subject themed podcast first started percolating in my cranium was a song called Welcome to the Physics Disco by Uberman. We've heard from Uberman before, relatively recently on the episode Songs in the Key of Liverpool. Uberman's album The Magic Treehouse, as I mentioned back then, is a magnificent piece of musicality at its most inventive with melodic dexterity matched only by the impish wit and delicate poignancy of the lyrics. Welcome to the Physics Disco is a perfect example of all of the above coming together beautifully. What starts as a whimsical piece of lyrical speculation? What if a university laid on a party for a bunch of students stereotypically assumed to be socially awkward and introverted turns into a tender celebration of inclusivity. After an uncomfortable moment when some media students turn up to film the event, everything resolves in a lovely way, with the media students proclaiming the physicists to be great. I've taken to running again after a sustained absence from any kind of exercise whatsoever. At some point in the near future there will be a podcast devoted to the theme of putting one foot in front of the other at the highest velocity you can imagine. But in the meantime 
Let me introduce you to one of the songs that I use regularly to soundtrack my runs. It's the title track from the Chemical Brothers 2019 album, No Geography. I absolutely love the album as a whole, but there is something particularly special about the title track, as with, I suppose, lots of albums' title tracks. You kind of get the feeling that any song bearing the same name as the album on which it appears is a kind of capsule summary of the larger piece. And that is clearly the case here. No Geography, the song, is a typically buzzy kind of Chemical Brothers track, albeit on a more chilled end of the spectrum. There are lots of jerky synthetic rhythms giving way to smoother patches of stretched out chord patterns played out on artificial strings. And there are plenty of voices to be heard on the tune too, many of them making non-verbal sounds of hey, 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 and the like, some of them even played backwards. But the centrepiece of the whole track comes from the sampling of a recording by the American poet Michael Brownstein and his poem, Geography. This is where I find music gets absolutely fascinating. Very often, a song will have some kind of powerful draw to it that, on the face of it, has no obvious explanation. What exactly is it that lifts song X above other songs that ostensibly seem very similar? And then you discover there is something deep within that song's creation that makes it sparkle. I find this happens time and time again with songs I like. I'll get drawn towards a song thinking it's because I like the tune and then I sit down and really listen hard to the lyrics and find out that that's where the magic has been the whole time. Michael Brownstein's poem Geography was part of an intriguing project called Dial a Poem dating back to 1968, the brainchild of John Giano. The idea was that members of the public could phone a number published in phone directories and listen to a random poem specially recorded for the project. Here is what Giano himself had to say about it. Dial a poem 1968-70 was unique in that it discovered the telephone as a venue of mass communication. On January the 12th, 1969, we received a quarter page review in the New York Times which included the telephone number twice. We received millions of calls. The first day we gave off 250,000 busy signals at any one time and the telephone company threatened to cut us off. This success led to many other newspaper and magazine reviews always printing the phone number. The Daily News, New York Post, Harper's Bazaar, Time, NBC's The Today Show and The New Yorker, each time with the phone number which made more people want to call. If a caller was bald with John Ashbury, they hung up and called again and got John Cage, William Burroughs, Jim Carroll. I also discovered that creating a desire that is unfulfillable is the ultimate success. With Dial a Poem, I stumbled on the phenomena of the telephone as a new media, connecting three things, publicity, a telephone number and content accessed by a huge audience. Before Dial-A-Poem, the telephone was just used one-to-one. -one. Dial-A-Poem's success gave rise to a Dial-A-Something industry, from Dial-A-Joke, Dial-A-Horoscope, Dial-A-Stop Quotation, 
dial sports to the 900 number paying for a call to phone sex and even more extraordinary technology. Dial a poem by chance ushered in a new era in telecommunications. There must have been something intoxicatingly alluring, subversive even, about this method of transmitting poetry. If you wanted to hear poetry, usually you'd have had to attend a reading with other people. But here was a chance to use that method of one-to-one -one communication to experience spoken poetry in a far more intimate setting. And so the potential was for poems to be far more risky in their content than you might expect to hear elsewhere. You were as likely to hear the Black Panther's Bobby Seal deliver polemics against racial injustice as you were to hear Jim Carroll describe the abuse he experienced at the hands of his sports coach when he was just 12 years old. The dial a poem phenomenon acted as a platform for the discussion of homosexuality, the Vietnam War and police brutality. Little wonder then that the original iteration closed down within three years. In 2021, The Guardian produced an article about dial a poem. Here's how they described the project's demise. dial a poem received more than a million calls before it lost funding and ended in 1971. There were complaints of indecency, claims that the poems incited violence, the FBI investigated and, in Giano's words, an observation that seemed to prove dial a poem's cultural worth, the trustees were beginning to freak out. Despite the freak out, it's not difficult to see projects like dial a poem as a forerunner to podcasting today. The intimate sound of one person disseminating their thoughts to another and another and another at any time the listener cares to hear them. Getting back to the particular piece from the dial a poem roster that the Chemical Brothers sampled on No Geography, Michael Brownstein's verse is a free-form poem celebrating the boundlessness of the human mind, its capacity to create, imagine and to love. It opens as follows. I make my home in a state of mind bordering on infancy and the south tenacity to the north rides mature wisdom that rides like a horse, the horse. To the west is love, careless love. To the east is power. It's a poem that captures the need we have sometimes to separate space and place from what we experience in our mind so that we can be with people who are not actually there, experience something of what it's like to be somewhere where we are not. The Chemical Brothers capture this perfectly with their sampling of Brownstein's delivery, creating something uplifting and invigorating, revolutionary in scope and inspiring in its vision. And it goes something like this. If you ever change your mind about leaving it all behind, remember, remember, no geography. change your mind about leaving it all behind. Remember, remember, no geography. Me, you, and me. Him, and her, and them too. And you, and me too. I'll take you home.
There are television programmes in this world that, at the time of broadcast, or more likely these days streaming, seem like the most revolutionary, groundbreaking examples of storytelling the universe has ever seen. And then, even a week after the final episode, perhaps less, everyone comes away wondering just what all the fuss was about. So it was with Lost, which ran for six seasons between 2004 and 2010. The show appeared so exciting because it seemed to throw every possible idea under the sun, including the kitchen sink, at a desert island where a plane replete with incredibly beautiful passengers crashes. There were mysterious pillars of smoke, even more mysterious polar bears. There was a strange cellar where buttons had to be pressed regularly to avoid some vague apocalypse. There were hints at clandestine scientific experiments conducted by the unfortunately named Dharma Initiative, and there was a weird cult-like group of others, not to be confused with the others that appeared in A Song of Ice and Fire. With all these strands of seemingly unrelated bizarre plot elements, the show's creators entered into a high-stakes gamble with their viewers, who became increasingly convinced the people behind Lost, despite their regular protestations to the contrary, might be as, well, lost as the characters on the show. There's probably no need to warn you of spoilers here if you didn't or haven't watched it because the series kind of spoiled itself with the biggest cop-out end you could ever dread to emerge after a six-year wait for resolution. While even primary school children are guided away from deus ex machina endings like and it turned out I was dreaming all along, the producers of Lost seem to think nothing of subjecting millions of viewers to the rather unimaginative spin on the dream device by showing their devoted fans that actually their beloved characters had been dead all along. Which was all a bit disappointing really. What was not disappointing however was the use of a Mamas and the Papas song to introduce the character of Desmond who prior to being discovered by the crash survivors keeps himself busy keeping fit to the dulcet tones of make your own kind of music. I'd never heard the song before and I immediately loved it. It was unashamedly, unapologetically sentimental, uplifting and inspiring, the exact opposite of most songs you can generally find nestling on my CD shelves. It opens with some slow meandering strings before Cass Elliot's voice emerges ballad-like for just a verse and then rises into something anthemic and gorgeous and lovely with parping brass and driving percussion. So drenched in positivity and dreaminess is this song, it feels like the plot of every single Disney film condensed into a 2 minute 19 second pop song. It is, unlike the TV show it got used on, Absolutely perfect. Nobody can tell you There's only one song worth singing They may try and sell you Cause it hangs them up To see someone Gonna be nowhere. The long 
Joe Jackson is perhaps best known for three songs in particular. Is she really going out with him? It's different for girls and my own favourite, Stepping Out. But scratch deeper beneath the greatest hits and you'll find some absolute gems like Biology from the 1980 album Beat Crazy. Opening with a twanging bass from the same school of punk rock as The Stranglers Peaches, Biology is a sneering, snarling assessment of hypocrisy in a relationship. A girlfriend or wife discovers that her other half has been going with some horse somewhere out in Germany, to which he responds that it was all just meaningless. It's just biology. Rather condescendingly, he explains his philandering as follows. Your biology lesson starts here, and first of all, I would like to make it clear that the species known as males have these little things with little white tails which multiply and start to shout it's getting crowded down here let us out once relieved they start again it's not a process controlled by the brain nothing to do with their hearts nothing to do with their heads nothing to do with their homes nothing to do with their beds it's just biology unfortunately he doesn't seem so accommodating when she responds that if it is just about biology, she's relieved she doesn't have to feel no shame about Dave and Tony and Phil and James. Maybe she can respond to some biological impulse too. It's a spectacularly spiky expose of self-delusion, double standards and utter disrespect. And unless I'm very much mistaken, it goes like this. Hello, I'm back again. Haven't seen you since I don't know when It's been so long that you seem so cold Is it something you've been told? She said, so this is what you think of me Going with some whore somewhere out in Germany I said, baby, baby, can't you see There's nothing to do This year, 2022, for anyone listening in a far-flung future full of flying cars and hoverboards, the Delgado has published the following message on their website. When we started the Delgados in 1994, it instantly felt effortless and simple. There was a synergy and a chemistry. Four people pulling in different directions, but towards the same destination. Two of us couldn't play very well, and two couldn't play at all but that unlearned sensitivity was our guide. 
Fast forward 25 or so years, the band has been split up for 15 of them and we're driving to Stuart Braithwaite's wedding. We've spent hardly any time with each other for over a decade and like before, it's effortless, simple and the thought occurs that it might be good to play together once again. It was the kind of website update that gets music fans like me very excited. The reformation of the Delgados. Finally, the 2020s turns up with some good news. And that's good news with a capital G and N. During what can now officially be referred to as the Delgados extended hiatus, there had been a fair bit of activity from at least two of the band's members. Alan Woodward had rechristened himself as Lord Cutlass and released an album sharing the same name full of deceptively simple sounding homespun tunes that cut to the bone with their wit and wisdom. Meanwhile, Emma Pollock got busy with three solo albums and joined a Scottish supergroup going by the best name a Scottish band could ever come up with, The Burns Unit, whose 2010 album, Sideshow, is simply a whole load of splendidness for the ears. But for this particular section of this particular episode, let me draw your attention to a song from Emma Pollock's second album, The Law of Large Numbers. The song is Chemistry Will Find Me, and it's about as raw, stripped back and vulnerable sounding as you might expect a song from a Delgado to be. It lumbers around with a chilling menace like Laurence Olivier in Richard III. Pollock's voice sounds like it's about to crack at any moment, overwhelmed with the immensity of life. It's the sound of someone craving their own absence. Don't betray this confidence, this lack of trail or trace that I seek when staring downwards where my feet try to remove me. But as with many of Pollock's songs, both within and without her band, there's a glint of hope in there, and in this case, the hope seems to revolve around a play on words. I know that chemistry will find me and pull me out from beneath my lair. The chemistry she's referring to being Chemical Underground, the record label she co-formed and through whom all the Delgado's albums were released. Her debut solo album 2007's Watch the Fireworks went out through the indie label 4AD, but the release of her second solo album, on which Chemistry Will Find Me, can be found, marked her return to the chemical underground fold. She had, as the song suggests, allowed herself to be found. The song represents the push and pull of wanting to disappear completely and knowing that that's probably not actually such a good idea. There's a mass of human contradictions within the song, with its narrator simultaneously wanting to be lost and saved. A feeling self-loathing, yet hating others who see her as just a screen full of numbers and lines. Of knowing she'll be missed at family celebrations she doesn't feel she deserves to attend. It's tender, dark, brooding, delicate, devastatingly honest sounding. You think I am buried You think I'm dead but it just slipped out early While you slept on in bed You took my hair and laid me bare on the screen I am just 
into this ramshackle collection of podcasts and would you believe it i still haven't featured a song by björk even though i had the prime opportunity to do so on the recent songs in the key of the top of the world episode which was devoted entirely to icelandic bands and artists so let's rectify this situation with immediate effect by talking about one of her songs from her 2018 album volnakura volnakura is one of those albums that it is almost too bleak to listen to. At times it feels like you are intruding on a private moment of the deepest sorrow. The artwork for it says it all. Björk standing in the tightest fitting black latex bodysuit, garlanded in a colourful halo, but most importantly sporting a split running down her chest, exposing a horrendous wound where her heart has been torn out. The reason upon listening to the album is obvious. Volnikura is a breakup album to end all breakup albums, documenting moments from before and after the breakdown in Björk's relationship with the American artist Matthew Barney. History of Touches, the third song on the album, is a mournful recollection of some of the last moments of intimacy between Björk and her soon-to-be ex. It is agonisingly, painfully honest, one of the most vulnerable moments in recorded sound, as Björk documents a desperate effort to turn one sorrow-filled bout of intercourse into a greatest hits compilation of every single fuck we had together, a doom-laden attempt to help her preserve some kind of positive memory from this dying relationship. It's all done with jarring, shimmering, discordant keyboards, some piercingly high, some deep, breathy and shuddering. This is not for the faint-hearted. I wake you up in the middle of the night To express my love for you Stroke your skin and feel you Naked I can feel all of you At the same
since I featured a song from my adoptive home on this podcast. The Medway Towns in Kent boast a ridiculously immense number of bands and artists, past and present. Such an immense number, in fact, that I could probably fill several episodes of these podcasts with Medway-based songs and never feature the same act more than once. That said, I featured the band I'm about to play twice already on these songs in the Kiev shows, According to my trusty spreadsheet, of course I have a spreadsheet, Theatre Royal's Kasha from their latest album Portraits appeared on episode 7 and their Christmas tune I Believe in Father Christmas, I Don't Want Socks appeared on episode 16. For today though, we're going back to Theatre Royal's 2014 album We Don't Know Where We Are and the song French Riviera 1988. It's a splendid piece of whimsical indie pop and as with the very best of whimsical indie pop, it concerns daydreams and fanciful notions of what-ifs. Over the top of a heavily strummed acoustic guitar, lead singer Ollie Burgess waxes lyrical about the time and place of the song's title, admitting, I've never been there, but I think of it every day. He idly muses how he'd like to take you back and woo you someday. It's a rather gorgeous song that exists by its own admission, in a state in between, a kind of liminal area where dreams and reality collide. At the time of recording this, their third album, Theatre Royal had something of a reputation for singing and playing songs about water and rivers, more specifically one river in particular, the River Medway. Here, in a song about a continental waterway, you kind of get the sense that they've transmuted some of the Medway's features across the channel with dirty swans and wanton urges taking flight from the muddy estuary. The resulting songs document a kind of place beyond place, a location of the imagination, which all sounds very similar to the musings of Michael Brownstein on the sample from the Chemical Brothers song we were listening to just now, when you think about it. French Riviera 1988 some delights are meant to be that way Drunken man's brought across the path Too much to drink and it's only Tuesday French Riviera 1988 I've never been there but I think of it every day 
of Simon Aldred, the frontman and for a time only man of Cherry Ghost, is utterly captivating. Vulnerability and yearning pours out of him. You get the sense he is giving absolutely all of himself, warts and all, to every song you hear. Mathematics comes from Cherry Ghost's 2007 debut Thirst for Romance and it is gorgeous. From the chimes that open the song, you know that this is going to be something absolutely magical. It's a love song, pure and simple, documenting that anticipation of meeting up with someone you're going to share your life with and with whom you will have a million adventures. There's a mass of glorious human contradictions in the song. While the repeating phrase of cold mathematics making its move on me now suggests a straightforward inevitability that this couple are destined to be together. The rest of the song is riddled with self-doubt and what-ifs. There's a confession that it's funny how I always seem to alienate the people I'm trying to impress. And the phrase about peacocks on the chopping block and in the dock sounds about as far removed from the imagery of a standard love song as you could get. Even the location of the couple's meeting by a fire escape speaks volumes of how our romantic hero is feeling right now. Fire escapes are never in the most glamorous romantic of locations. They are functional and discreet and, but for the attentions of fire safety inspectors, generally unloved. And there's the obvious hint that maybe this guy's been burnt before. And yet none of this matters, none of it at all as those chimes waltz through the night with sumptuous strings and Aldred's voice delivering that strained lullaby melody. Every inch of back roads that have put me here will disappear and I'll hold you in my arms. It is absolutely delicious. Meet me on the corner by the fire escape And I'll be waiting Out of reach 
many years ago, in what seems like a couple of lifetimes ago, I went to see Ben Folds at the Barbican with none other than my then-girlfriend's line manager from work. Obviously. As memory serves, that was the first of three times I've seen the absolute genius that is this spectacular pianist and songwriter. There'll be more on Ben Folds himself in episodes to come. In the meantime, let's have a chat about the support act from that night, one Yves Barzelay, the frontman of the alt-country act Clem Snide, who, in a bizarre second reference in this episode to William S. Burroughs, is named after one of Burroughs' characters. The name is Clem Snide. I'm a private asshole. As a private investigator, I run into more death than law allows. I mean the law of averages. Anyway, I digress. At the time of Ben Fold's gig, 2005 as memory serves, Clem Snide had just released an album by the name of The End of Love, which is as beautiful a piece of country-tinged US alt-rock as you're ever likely to hear. There's a gorgeous intimacy to the whole record as it documents a series of characters grappling with their own interior monologues, trying to make sense of themselves and who they are. Perhaps the lyric from the album that sums up the fear of the whole record most eloquently is a line from the song Weird. After observing that your mother found God and your dad likes to drink, Barzelay suggests that maybe you're not as weird as you'd like me to think. Sadly though, for the purposes of this pedagogically themed podcast, there are no school subject related words in that song. You will, however, find the name of a modern foreign language in the title of another song from The End of Love. The song goes by the barnstormingly spectacular title of The Sound of German Hip Hop, and it is rather glorious in a jarring, apocalyptic sort of way. The song narrates the unsettling experience of being woken in the middle of the night. It beautifully describes the disorienting experience of sleeplessness, lurching from a sardonic summary of the allure of materialism with its line about listening very carefully when just told what to buy on late night TV commercials, through to an equally satirical swipe at the facade of televangelists predicting the end of days in exchange for tickets far from cheap. It's a brilliant, wonderful song from an underrated album. And I think you'll find it goes a lot like this. I woke up to the sound of German hip-hop in my head A great unholy clatter quickly filling me with dread I wonder then if silence Forever disappear What with everybody yelling The end was finally here
Although this podcast is very much all about the music, it's probably become clear to the more attentive listener that my politics would probably not make me a candidate to join our new Prime Minister's cabinet. So it's probably no surprise then, at some point, I might want to feature a song by Billy Bragg on one of these episodes. Back in 2002, Billy Bragg released an album called England Half English and, for a while, it was the only thing I listened to. It was a concept album of a sort, devoted to the theme of just what it means to be English or to live in England at the beginning of the 21st century. As time has worn on, what with the coming and going of the BNP, of UKIP and the Brexit Party and whatever other political party Nigel Farage is national fronting this week, together with the fractious consequences of Brexit and the divisive behaviour of a self-absorbed kitchen mop running the country he claimed to love into the ground, the album has grown only more and more relevant with age. The title track is a case in point, a response to all those who like to believe that England, not Britain, is an island nation that can only be at its best without the influence of bloody foreigners. From the get-go, Bragg attacks this notion, pointing to the glorious mixed heritage of everything that, for want of a better phrase, flagshaggers hold dear as exemplars of Englishness at its most English. Britannia, she's half English, she speaks Latin at home, St George was born in the Lebanon, how he got here I don't know. And those three lions on his shirt, they never sprung from England's dirt, them lions are half English and I'm half English too. It's a glorious alternative national anthem, showing a pride in a nation that extends beyond the surface level platitudes of land of hope and glory. A proper celebration of the real people and experience that go towards what it is and always has been to be English. He sings of veggie curries and cappuccinos, of neighbours with Hindustani heritage and of Morris dancing and Morrissey. All that stuff came from across the sea. It's a delicious celebration of England as part of the wider world. No man is an island, John Donne famously wrote once upon a time, and neither, it turns out, are nations, even the ones surrounded by water. My mother was half English, and I'm half English too. I'm a great big bundle of culture, tied up in the red, white and blue. I'm a fine example of your essence, man. I'm well familiar with the Hindustan, because my neighbours are half English, and I'm half English too. My breakfast was half English, and so am I, you know. I had a plate of Marmite soldiers washed down with a cappuccino. And I had a veggie curry about once a week. The next day I fry up bubble and squeak, cause my appetite's half English, and I'm half English too. Dance with me to this very English melody. From Morris dancing to Morrissey. All that stuff came from across the So there you have it, 10 songs in the key of Back to School. I hope you enjoyed them. Let me know what you thought by responding to the post for this episode on Instagram. Just look for songs in the key of. I'm always on the lookout for new songs to listen to, enjoy and talk about. So if you're a singer, songwriter, band member 
or just a good old fashioned music fan, please do drop me a line with your recommendations of things to listen to and share. I'll be back sooner or later with songs in the key of something or other else sometime soon. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again. Daddy,